Welcome back to the Cult Film Companion Podcast, or if this is your first time joining us, welcome to the Cult Film Companion Podcast. We are the home of movies that are off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. We are available on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on social media at Cult Film Comp, C-U-L-T-F-I-L-M-C-O-M-P, Twitter and Instagram. We are also available on the Blind Knowledge Collective at www.blindknowledge.com, which is a great website to check out for video casts and podcasts from around the world that provide interesting and unique topics presented in an informative and entertaining fashion. So please check out all the fine creators over at blindknowledge.com today. The Cult Film Companion Podcast is also a featured podcast on Newsly. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android that captures the latest trending articles based on topics that you choose to follow and then reads them to you in a natural human voice. Stop scrolling, start listening. For the first time in the history of the web, the entire internet becomes listenable. Download and use Newsly for free today at www.newsly.me and please use the promo code C-O-L-T-F-1-L-M. That's Cult Film. Drop the I, pop in a one and get a month free of Newsly's premium service courtesy of us. So check out Newsly for free today. And now that we've got all that business stuff out of the way, it is time to get into the movie of the week. And I am very, very excited to talk about this movie. This was something that I recently discovered uh, a couple months ago because it involved some of my favorite filmmakers and some great actors. And when I saw it, I was absolutely blown away, and it is a perfect movie for this this show because, uh, like a lot of uh, cult films, it didn't really uh, light up the box office, but it, it just took some time. Sometimes it just takes some time for these movies to be discovered, and I couldn't ask for a better guest to come onto the show today, and that is, of course, Caesar Augusto. Caesar, welcome back to the Cult Film Companion podcast. Thanks very much. Always a pleasure to be here. And uh, tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your social media, because um, I love what you do on Twitter. So tell everyone a little bit what about why they should be following you, because uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that you're a highlight of my timeline every day, my, uh, my Twitter timeline. So... Um, Tell everybody uh, what what you your your goal is as as a um, as kind of like a social media presence. Oh, thanks very much for that, Chris. Uh, I definitely appreciate the praise. Uh, my uh, my purpose on Twitter, uh, provided that 
it never shuts down because of uh, Bond villain wannabe Elon Musk <laughs> right. uh, hopes to do with the uh, <laughs> with the platform. Regardless of that, uh, what I hope to do is to be um, an influencer of cool forgotten movies. I intend to unearth some of these cult films uh, that you uh, love so much, uh, as do I, and to uh, reintroduce them to the younger generations uh, or the, the cinematically curious. Uh, I always feel that, especially for the uh, the younger set, um, Gen Z and uh, and younger, to explore these movies that, uh, for one thing, are wait could be too old for them to uh, for them to appreciate, but they could definitely explore. And for anybody who's basically just tired of the current Hollywood scene, if uh, if they're tired of overly CGI laden films and they want to go back to experiencing classic filmmaking, bare-bones stunt work, uh, or uh, very thought-out scripts, I hope to introduce them to these films and get them to basically re-explore the art of cinema. Love it. You know, that's that's kind of... Um, because I went through this period of time when I was younger where, you know, if a movie was in black and white or a movie came out you know, before I was born, or if it wasn't the latest movie that was hitting the cinemas, I wasn't particularly interested in it. And that ignorance mm-hmm. kind of robbed me of <laughs> of some really, really good stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you, you kind, you know, there's. I, I think that there's, there's, there's something to enjoy from every single um, year, uh, time period, and genre of cinema. It just mm-hmm. sometimes it takes. You just got to dig a little bit deeper, you know, because the stuff that comes right out to the forefront might not necessarily, you know, kind of sometimes will overshadow some of these little lesser known movies for for better or for worse. And you talked about um, an amazing script, and that is a perfect segue going into the the Yakuza or the Yakuza. As um, th- as this is because this script comes from two of my uh, two of my favorite screenwriters, uh, and also well, they've they've directed in their own right, but I I think that they're actually probably pretty better known for for their screenplays for other directors, and that mm-hmm. would be Robert Town, who is probably you know best known for for scripting Polanski's Chinatown. Yep. And Paul Schrader, who probably is probably, you know, best known for, well, I'm, I'm going to say at for, at for a period of time was probably best known for scripting Taxi Driver and other other scripts for for um, Scorsese, including Last Temptation of Christ. But it, Schrader has really come into his own as a director, not recently I mean, this we're talking over the course of, of decades now uh, but he's still kind of he he still is kind of better known for you know something like taxi driver if you say oh my god the guy who wrote taxi driver yeah okay. uh, but he he's he's directed uh, some some great movies some of which I've covered here on the show including um, blue collar which he worked on um with his brother Leonard Trader, mm-hmm. and Leonard Trader is also credited uh, coming up with the story of the Yakuza, 
And this story, you know, for those of you who need a refresher on the on the plot synopsis, I'll, I'll give you a quick plot synopsis, and then we're just going to talk all things about this amazing movie. Um, it's about a retired American detective who returns to Japan after decades away in order to rescue his friend's daughter, who was kidnapped by the eponymous crime syndicate. There we go. I finally got it out. And if I remember correctly, this movie stars one of your favorite actors, no? Robert Mitchum? Uh, yes, absolutely. In fact, he is my favorite actor of all time. He is, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, then that leads me to asking, how does this rank in far of um, Robert Mitchum performances for you? I would say, if I were to rank his all-time greatest performances... His number one would I I probably would have to say would be out of the past, uh, the uh, film noir thriller that he did, um, and uh, forgive me I don't remember what year that was, but that was definitely in the uh, the early fifties, uh, followed by his uh, ultra scary performance as Max Cady in the original Cape Fear. Yes. Yep. And oh man, I, that that movie gave me nightmares when I saw that as a kid because he has like his 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 voice delivery is my favorite thing about, about Mitchell, especially in that film, where he declares to Gregory Peck's character, I'm going to give your, your wife and daughter a, a hell of a time they ain't never going to forget. It, it's, it, it was so terrifying how he, did, how he worked in that particular role. And I would say his, uh, his performance as uh, Harry Kilmer in The Yakuza would be his third best. Uh, he, he was so distinctly tough and sympathetic all at the same time and uh i just it was just so unforgettable and memorable how he works all his performances what i love about mitchell is he was so versatile yes he could play uh he could play a tough guy he could play uh, a psychopath uh, he even did a few rom-coms uh he did um uh one christmas movie if i uh maybe a few seconds i could uh, go on imdb really quick and see what that was uh well, I think that, uh, it's be, I'm sorry. Uh, no, I was going to say, uh, t- yeah, take your time because I think it would be interesting for the audience that who's listening with Christmas kind of right around the corner here. Uh, well, uh, right. a Robert Mitchum Christmas movie because that's kind of something you know. Given given, I haven't probably seen as many movies of his as as you have, but he he's a very he's he's such a good actor, very natural. You you yeah. it, like he. I don't know the way that he kind of just goes into character for whatever he's doing. It, it's it's it, it's kind of amazing, and, and sometimes you don't you don't see that nearly as much anymore. So uh, yeah, I'm very curious to what a Robert Mitchum Christmas movie might be like. It, it, it was a uh, it was Holiday Affair. That's what uh that's what the movie was. It was uh it was him and uh, Janet Lee. Of uh, psycho fame and right. Billy Curtis's mother, uh, they were in this. Uh, it's a um, a holiday rom com from the late forties, and uh, he plays basically uh, his uh, his classic self. He was a, a rogue, um, kind of a rascally character, but at the same time a good guy. So uh, this is one of the movies I like watching uh, during the holiday season, and I I probably would throw in uh, Holiday Fair as one of my favorite of his performances as well. All right. So, back to the 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 yakuza, the yakuza. Now, nowadays, 
I would say just either through more exposure with TV or movies, more people are probably familiar with the the Yakuza, the Yakuza. For those of you who are not, um, they're originally samurai, but disgraced samurai. And um, if you've studied Japanese culture, uh, samurai had a very distinct code, a moral code that they would follow. And the the Yakuza, although originally disgraced samurai, also had their own kind of code. But they're essentially what we would we would think of as the mafia in America. Mm-hmm. When you think of the Godfather, the Sopranos, the mafia, um, the Yakuza is kind of the equivalent over in Japan. Although, like any. And any good mafia organization, they try to get their way into other countries and cultures. So, mm-hmm. I, I think now it, it's it, it's more fam- we are more familiar with it. But we got to go back to this movie came out in Japan in December on December twenty eighth, nineteen seventy four. What a great Christmas movie! And then mm-hmm. it was released in New York initially for uh, March 19th, 1975. So we got to go back uh, a couple, uh, we got to go back decades here. So I think the familiarity with the Yakuza probably not knowing exactly what the Yakuza was, I think might have hurt this movie a little bit um, because there was no internet. You couldn't you couldn't go into the old Google machine and find out what the Yakuza were. You kind of had to rely on um, advertising. And this movie, I mean, t- talk about talk about talent behind the cast. We talked about Robert Mitchum, and it's pretty much his movie. The rest of the cast is also excellent. But behind the ca- camera directing, we have Sidney Pollock. We've got this screenplay from uh, Schrader in town, and... I mean, here's the thing that I learned when doing research for this movie is that apart from there's one scene that was filmed in California or a couple scenes were filmed in California, 90% of this movie was filmed in Japan with a Japanese crew, a crew that it was a, a it was very difficult, uh, particularly for Pollock, to kind of direct because you know he didn't speak Japanese and they didn't really understand English all that well and um but given I never would have guessed that watching this movie because there's not you don't see it it's flawless filmmaking here on display and another reason that I think that this movie kind of didn't I think that maybe people are ex- expecting more of an action orientated movie. Not to say that there's not action in this movie, but that it's much more of. It's not even a character study. It's kind of just like an ensemble drama that happens to have some action sequences here and there in it. Is that? Do you think that's a fair assessment on my part? Oh, very much. Yeah, I I would say the Yakuza is almost in league of the godfather and that type of heavy emphasis on how their organized crime works along with 
uh, a deep melodrama um, yes. as to especially with the uh, the backstory of uh, Harry Kilmer's relationship with uh, the once love of his life. Uh, the Yakuza definitely takes deep care in, into exploring their past rather than just uh, a regular uh, gangster shoot 'em up. Oh no, no, the, the Yakuza takes that takes the the melodrama to a whole new level. That's why it feels more of a, a deep gangster tale rather than uh, a regular like martial arts action film. Right, and. And again, not to say that there's not action sequences, and when the action hits, it, it it's much more potent because you've really spent time with these characters, and as the story unravels, we find more and more. Um, there's more and more going on here behind the scenes. Everyone seems to well, not everyone, but a lot of the um, uh, the reason that this this. Uh, uh, that you know Robert Mitchum's friend's daughter was was kidnapped we we find out why and you know what you know it was he was kind of dubious about it uh, you know he, he but he knew that Robert Mitchum it, it goes like you said it, it kind of goes uh, with the um the godfather narrative that there there's a certain code that needs to be followed just like if you're in the mafia, like the Godfather, there's a certain code. There's certain things that you do, certain things that you say, certain occasions that come up in which um, business should, you know, business needs to be handled just so. And we, and I like the fact that they really take the time to immerse you in this culture. There is a little bit about, you know, there, there is um, an intro text scroll, but it's not obnoxiously long. They take the time in the movie to flesh out exactly what what sort of, um, what what's the proper channels in which to navigate through this, this subculture of Japan. And that comes from uh, Schrader's brother, who came up with the story because he was uh, living in Japan at the time. He was teaching English, and, um, you know, he he got accustomed to certain things, and he learned certain things from his time there. So it's coming from a very genuine... It's coming from an outsider's perspective, which is perfect for us because we kind of go on this journey with Robert Mitchum because he hasn't been in Japan for for decades I believe at this time you know he had, you know he had established a relationship with a woman and her daughter there and that gets explored and you know he he left because the woman's brother felt disgraced by him mm-hmm. but it turns out that this um, you know spoilers for this movie because we're gonna we had to talk all things about this movie turns out that this man was not her brother was actually her husband which right which was even i i guess a deeper disgrace and it, it is not to say that this woman just immediately left her husband i mean this man was presumed dead and or at least at the very least missing at the time and so you know robert mitchum and her had um developed this relationship so to me it's 
I, I can't think of a better director. I know that Sidney Pollack wasn't the first choice to actually direct this, but I, right. I, th- I, I think that in hindsight, he's kind of perfect for the way that this movie was helmed. But before we get a little bit deeper into the movie, when did you when did you first see or at least hear about um, this this movie? Uh, the first time I saw it was uh, approximately 10, 11 years ago. Uh, this is when Netflix still mailed out DVDs. Mm-hmm. Um, I was already a, a burgeoning fan of Robert Mitchum at this point. Uh, as, as I said, I, I saw Cape Fear as a kid and uh, disturbed me at the time. Uh, but I, I couldn't get his performance of Max Cady out of my head. And then um, later, uh, just cert- going through his uh, his library of movies... Um, at this point also I was starting to get into crime cinema and then I uh, came across uh, the Yakuza uh, and I, I saw the plot and it reminded me greatly of Kill Bill uh, Kill Bill definitely put a lot of uh, emphasis on at least Tarantino's scope on on the Yakuza and then I saw that on his the many references of the film for Kill Bill was the Yakuza as well at this point I haven't seen the, the Yakuza so I decided to check it out on Netflix, and I was blown away. Uh, as I said, um, the the melodrama of the uh, relationship between Harry Kilmer and uh, his uh, lady love Aiko uh, that drew me in, as well as the uh, the, the later action sequences. Uh, to me, it's the perfect neo noir film. Mm. Um, it, it's like the seventies was chock full of films almost like this, with the private eye. Uh, going after, going after, or solving a particular uh, case, or uh, pulling off some kind of um, accomplishment, and uh, the yakuza definitely has that. Has a very unique approach to that. It's it's uh, set in a foreign land, and it stars an American PI. And uh, I I had to check it out for myself. And what a what a damn good decision I made <laughs> watching this for the first time. It became it's now. In my top ten favorite movies of all time. Wow. Okay. So that that's mm-hmm. high praise. Um, mm-hmm. And and rightfully so. If um, it it, I mean, the, you could make a nice little movie uh, marathon of 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 yakuza films, uh, but one that actually comes to mind that I saw I watched because I was I've been. You know, I've had to postpone episodes and, and working on the show because of of, of um, technical issues. So I revisited revisited Black Rain the other day, which I think would be would be a great double feature to have the Yakuza and Black Rain. And uh, Black Rain is, of course, Ridley Scott with Michael Douglas and Andy Garcia. Um, mm-hmm. Who have to ret- who have to return a um, a yakuza member um, to Japan, and then they get involved in all that kind of stuff. So if you if you want something a little bit more action orientated, Black Rain is for you. Although I I personally think that the story with the um, the yakuza um, film is the more interesting story to me because, like you said, we've got personal relationships, friendships, business relationships, plus this this bizarre kind of um 
not bizarre, but bizarre to us kind of code that the, that these that the yakuza follow, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, if if you want to um, you want to see someone cut off their pinky because they've uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> we we get that in spades here in this movie, and it's funny because you had posted. Um, I didn't do this intentionally, but I you were you were posting about passing the Pepto for Thanksgiving, and I posted a GIF of someone cutting off their fingers and Pepto Bismol coming out, and uh, it couldn't have been a more um, I guess maybe subconsciously I was just thinking of these scenes, and um, yes, we we do see that in this movie. If you've um, if you're just dis- if you're disgraced, the only way to kind of save face with the yakuza is to cut off your your pinky, and mm-hmm. um, so, um, why don't you hit us up with a little bit more of uh, of some of the, the the plot points here, and some of the um the this the kind of sequence of events that we follow here? Because we we start out with uh we we start out in California with Robert Mitchum, and then we we, we are Chris quickly whisked away to Japan. Um, hit us up with a couple of the key plot points here. Sure. Um, it, it, I have to admit the uh, the plot, rather the uh, the um, the conspiracy between um, the antagonists of the the film is was rather confusing. Uh, it took me several viewings to fully understand what was going on. It was it's very uneven. Yes, uh, I'm referring yeah. to um, Brian Keats' character, mm-hmm. uh, George George Tanner, who's uh, war buddies with Kilmer. And uh, along with um, uh, Herb Edelman, who who some folks may remember, uh, he was in The Odd Couple and also in The Golden Girls. He was mostly a comedic character. Uh, but uh, th- those three characters in the film, they're war buddies during uh, during the war. They, I think I believe they were all MPs, military police. And um, I, I, as I said, it was uh, the uh, the conspiracy between Brian Keats' character and the uh, the head of the of the Tokyo. Yakuza, it, it's it, it's very odd as to like what caused the rift between them and what caused uh, Tono, that's the name of the Yakuza boss, to kidnap Tanner's daughter. So uh, I urge everybody to be watching the film for the first time to pay attention to that, especially. I, I but, believe um, isn't Tanner having, t- yeah. t- Tanner was supposed to be was going to to sell him military weapons if I'm not mistaken something like that yeah, yeah. It, it was an arms deal that gone wrong right uh, basically is what it is it's it, like they don't go into deep detail about it no that's, that's one of one of the problems of the film I have to say uh, um it, it's a, it was the uh, let's see uh, I think Tanner was owed tonal guns uh, but then withheld um. Some monetary trade involved. It's it's very vague, as I said, but it's okay. I mean, because of how great the film is, you can overlook the the, the plot holes. It's almost it, it almost doesn't. The actual series of events leading up to um, the kind of the, to us unraveling the mystery of what actually is going on isn't nearly as important as kind of the 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 resulting mess that it ensues because of this um yes. because like you said it's it, apparently the, the tanner had promised weapons weapons that he he i i guess he Another never weapon. had he never had to begin with i think yeah. if if like you said there there are a couple key lines of dialogue that will clue you in but it's very much 
it, it's like half mystery and then the mystery's kind of resolved halfway through the movie and then we kind of get the the results of now that everyone's uh, now that all the cards are on the table we 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 kind of have to deal with um the results here because um it it, it got it, it gets messy it gets real messy <laughs> very complicated um especially with the involvement of uh Aiko uh her supposed brother uh Ken Tanaka, played by Ken Takukara. Um, and, like, I'm, uh, I'm very glad that you brought up Black Rain, too, uh, Chris, because Ken Takukara, who plays uh, Tanaka Ken, is also in Black Rain as uh, Michael Douglas's uh, Tokyo police detective partner. Yes. Yep. Uh, and he was just awesome in both. Um, I mean, in, in Black Rain, he, he was cool in that one. He was uh, tough. But in the Yakuza... He was just spellbinding in that film. Yeah, he, uh, he's badass. Yeah, absolutely. He he had a great chemistry with Mitchell, and in uh, uh, to uh, to kind of paraphrase Denzel Washington in in Training Day, uh, Tanaka Ken was surgical with that with that uh, katana sword. <laughs> like he was just uh, hacking limbs left and right, not just in the um in the climactic battle at the end, but uh, but also how he had to use the sword because his, his character had not actually used a katana sword for a very long time. He made like a like an oath to himself. After he left organized crime, he just not going to kill anybody ever again. Mm. But circumstances forced him to pick up a blade again uh, and to back up Kilmer. during. Uh, it was during the, uh, the sequence where they were rescuing uh, Tanner's daughter. And then uh, all hell breaks loose, and then uh, Tanaka Kim was forced to use a sword again, and now he is up in Ship's Creek with the uh, <laughs> with the Yakuza because uh, he took that oath never to never again to take a life, but he did out of necessity. Right, and yeah, like I said, so yeah, it, it's it, it's interesting to me because the first time I watched this. I, I was following the plot. I did, you know, if if you asked me for all the exact details and the sequence of events, I probably couldn't give it to you. But I I, I kind of got the gist of what was happening. But mm-hmm. um, like I said, the, the rescue of this of the daughter ha- probably happens around the halfway point of this movie, and yes. so I, it kind of got resolved quicker than I anticipated because, like I said. Um, earlier in the episode, we, we ne- now need to deal with the aftermath of what happens because the, the, I would say there's um, probably two or three like big action sequences in this, and the rescue, the rescue of the of of, of Tanner's daughter is one of them, and um, a lot of people get killed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and then we kind of have to deal with the reality of the situation. It found out that Tanner wasn't a hundred percent honest with Robert Mitchum. And then, you know, we find out the the true relationship between, you know, it's not brother and sister. It was husband and wife. And right. he was a, a kind of a surrogate father at one point to um, to the daughter. So, I um, mean, th- th- there's a lot here. But the thing is that the dialogue, I mean, you, you wouldn't expect subpar dialogue given the two powerhouses that we have working on it here. But these amazing sets and these these amazing set pieces and the actual um, 
actually filming in Japan allows for some um, absolutely amazing landscapes to be filmed and um, cities and just it's it's very fresh and it feels I can only imagine at the time seeing something like this because like I said you know you you could hop on Google now and you know you could find dozens and dozens of movies about the Yakuza but in the 70s I would probably, you know, you'd probably be hard-pressed to come up with something um, right off the top of your head. And I I, I think that the fact that it was made by a a largely Japanese crew, and it was interesting to me, one of the ways, um, you know, he couldn't even, the cinematographer, like of all things to, to bring over, he didn't even bring over an American cinematographer. So, right. you know... It's 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 got some unique kind of um, cinematography going on here. Some interesting kind of shots. But what were some of the so some of the highlights? Because we already said we already said that the plot gets a little convoluted. It's a little hard to follow upon first watch. Um, but there's not many other criticisms that I could throw at this movie off the top of my head so let's talk about some of the highlights what were some of the um other than you know robert mitchum's performance and some of the other characters performance what were some like like key scenes to you that you you think that are are noteworthy and worth worth um especially highlighting if people are planning on rewatching? uh i would pay close attention especially to actor richard jordan uh he plays uh kilmer's uh sidekick um, Dusty, and uh, if you know me, I love character actors. I love pointing out that guy actors. I love right. those actors that you see all the time. You never remember their names. Um, I love those especially. I love those types of actors more so than movie stars, to be honest with you. And uh, I say this is Richard Jordan's best performance of all time. He was mainly known for playing weaselly bad guys, uh, Elmer Leonard types, basically is what I'm referring to, like weaselly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, nervous, twitchy uh, gangster types but this, he really stood out for the first time ever and this wouldn't be also his first time acting with Robert Mitchum Uh, first time that they worked together was uh, another great 70s crime film, uh, The Friends of Eddie Coyle if you've ever seen that Chris I have, it's 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 really good, very underrated and uh, great Criterion Edition is available, but that's a. I was gonna actually uh, uh, bring that up at, towards the end of the episode, but yeah, um, spot on. B- uh, p- please continue. Sure. Well, uh, there's a particularly really great scene in the Yakuza where um, Dusty, uh, having visited Japan for the very first time in his life while accompanying Kilmer to this this mission. Uh, He's, well, at first, he's a classic stereotypical American, doesn't know a whole lot about foreigners, doesn't know a whole lot about other countries, but he's absorbing the world around him. Uh, there's a scene there where they're both at a Japanese bathhouse in Tokyo. <laughs> that, uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think yeah. you know the scene you're referring to. I do, like, I do, uh, yes. They're, they're there, they're, they're, they're soaking in the water, uh, and Dusty's noticing all these uh, different uh, cultural... Uh, observances that he made while there he, he noticed that everything is in reverse he was talking about how in America uh, how a, a disturbed person would uh, would basically kill people from, from his house by shooting them up 
uh, in Japan, they would commit suicide. Um, if they're going to be piercing with a sword in America, it'd be, it'd be piercing with, with the grip of the, uh, of the sword would be uh, piercing forward, whereas in Japan, it would make an inner uh, jab first and then proceeding with the, uh, with the forward jab. Mm -hmm. That's one of the... Uh, that, this is why like, I love the script for this. It's because it, it is so deep. It is so not your typical tough guy picture, um, especially with that. And, and the filmmakers made great use of Richard Jordan's performance. That's one of the, uh, the other really memorable things for me about this film. Right. And, and, and speaking of the script, um, I'm just going to read a quote here from, from Schrader. And I want you, I, I'm curious to see for your um, reaction to it. So this is, this sure. is from Paul Schrader. Uh, uh, he felt that Pollock, quote, directed against the grain of the script. I wrote a violent underworld film about blood, duty, and obligation. He made a sort of rich, romantic, transcultural film. Either of those films would be interested if fully realized, but the final product fell between these two between those two stools. Neither film was made. It didn't satisfy the audience that came to see the hard gangster world, and it didn't satisfy the Jeremiah Johnson audience. Sydney's audience, which came to see some poetic realism. Uh, I, I love Schrader. That sounds a little bit like sour grapes to me. Uh, yeah, I'm just gonna. I agree. <laughs> I, 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 I can see where he's coming from, and we also have to keep in mind that again that this wasn't. And that another thing that kind of bothers me about this quote is that it wasn't just his script, though. I mean, Robert Town was involved, so right. I can I can almost I I always find it interesting if um there's two screenwriters credited if it's a movie that I I I particularly like and I particularly interested in I I'd like to know the relationship um, between the screenwriters. I mean, mm -hmm. was it? somebody writes one scene and then passes it off or does somebody focus more on the action while somebody else is punching up the dialogue um i i, I was able i'm able to do that with certain films at more recent movies just because there's more information avail available but for this i'm not sure i, I don't know if it was one of these instances where schrader wrote the script the studio or one of the executives didn't particularly like it and wanted to bring in Robert Town to polish it up, or was it a collaboration? So again, I, I, I can, but I can also see where he's coming from. It's not, it's not Hard Rain. It's not a Hard Rain is much more of an action orientated movie, and right. I, I think. What I like about the Yakuza, though, is that we spend so much time with these characters in between the bursts of violence. Yeah. That when these, what that when the action happens, and the you know even if it's not action, it's just violent, like the the scene at the end with where where people are cutting off their their pinkies to to um to kind of um, make amends in a way to for for the other person to save face. It makes those scenes so much more potent because it's not just action sequence to action sequence. We we spend so much time with these characters, and they have 
not every conversation revolves around the plot of the movie. It's a like you said that scene in the bathhouse. It's I mean, you could have easily cut out a lot of the dialogue between the two characters and just have the assa- you know, the assassination attempt because that's probably what some of the audience just wanted. They, you know, enough of this dialogue gets the action. So I can see right. that it's not it's not going to satisfy someone looking for um, a non-stop martial arts action movie and I, I could see where that I could see where the you know this movie did not do well at the box office I think it was made for 5 million let me just check the numbers I want to say it was 5 million and I think it brought in maybe 1.5 million um yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what we're talking here, and the critics were kind of. It was it was divisive critically, but I I think it's just one of these movies that, you you kind of have to come around to, and and once you see, I mean, it, like I would say, if you're if you haven't seen the Yakuza and you're a big fan of Tarantino, especially the Kill Bill movies, then you you're doing yourself a disservice by not watching the Yakuza. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for you, what else really worked about for this movie? Because I know that, um, for me, I I I really like the soundtrack too. I think the soundtrack is really really good. Oh yeah, it's uh, it, it's very. It felt like ambiance. It, it almost felt like. Um, if you're familiar with Jan Hammer, uh, the composer of Miami Vice, or or even. Tangerine Dream, hearkening back to our previous conversation on uh, Thief, it almost felt like that to me. It felt like it was moody, it was it was deep, but, it was, but orchestral. You know, keeping right. in, in the, the zeitgeist of seventies crime cinema. It felt like that with with the a touch of Japanese music that like, they add in with the other uh, traditional strings that they have with uh, that with their cultural with their culture's music. And that's what it felt like to me. It was a uh, uh, it was soothing, but it also added a bit of an um, uh, ominous sound to it too, um, along with uh, with more uh, music that could be heard, like in in the, the karaoke bars that they, they had there. And one of, one of the <laughs> scenes in the film was uh, was Kilmer talking with Tanaka Ken about their rela- about the former's excuse me the latter's uh, relationship with the yakuza. In the background there, there was um, a few Japanese businessmen singing. A traditional song of their country. I, I don't know what it's called. I don't. I don't speak Japanese. But uh, and then they, they would tra- they would transition later into their version of My Darling Clementine, which I found pretty interesting too. It's uh, that's the Japanese culture for you. They they definitely like Westernized music, but still upheld their own musical tunes. That's deep within ingrained within their culture. Um, as you say, great use of, of music in this film as well. Well, I think it's it, it's interesting because. You know, movies are scored after the fact for the most part. So, like we had mentioned, that the majority of this of the crew that worked on this movie, I want to say that either it was the production designer or the set designer, one of the two was one of the only American transplants that actually went to Japan. When I say the crew was, um, mostly Japanese, we're talking the cinematographer. Mm -hmm. Who, right? The the the, the assistant directors, um, other people, and the way. 
so they had to come up with very interesting ways of communicating with one another and one of the things mm -hmm. that like particularly with the cinematographer like they would you know they would go through different lenses and to say you know this is too light it's this scene is too light this scene is too dark that kind of thing mm -hmm. and you know th then they would have to use translators to kind of so Pollock could get his direction through and you know but I think that Pollock also had and kudos to him for this I, I think that he had the confidence in these people he kind of I would say that someone with his um, his popularity, his notoriety, would be able to to get like really good. So I'm sure really professional and talented people to work with. So I, I think that he kind of put his confidence in these people, and it shows. That being said, I think he made a very smart decision by not going. Oh, I almost said the phrase full Japanese, but um, he made he made the um, the decision to um, use an American um, composer to to um, score the movie, but encouraged right. this composer to to very much utilize um, Eastern music influences. So we've got kind of this melting pot of East and West, which I think was such a such a great idea because what we get on screen matches perfectly with the music you know what i'm saying oh yes so um other um notable scenes you brought up a great one the bathhouse scene and i you know you rusty is Rusty is great because he's also kind of being deceived. He goes with um with Robert Mitchum to Japan mm -hmm. under you know he's under false pretenses you know the whole kind of thing that um he goes on but he decides to stay um mostly because I think he's got a crush on a what do do you know the the actress or the the character's name the daughter he's got a crush on yeah well uh, Hanako right. Uh, he's got mm -hmm. quite the fondness for her, but yeah, um, you know, the so we we see character growth, we see development, we see we see relationships healed here. You know, the man that um, the man that felt disgraced because his wife and daughter were taken care of by an American um, is able to kind of redeem himself through this act of helping this American save this this girl right uh, you know it, it, it's such a rich story you know mm -hmm. um so other than the uh the bathhouse scene any other notable scenes uh to you uh before we talk about the climax of this movie because I, I do want to talk about the ending because i think it's very very powerful but but prior to that any other scenes that kind of stick out to you um, it, it wouldn't be uh, uh, one scene in particular, but it's more of a, a continuous uh, theme that runs in the film. Uh, do you remember the, where uh, uh, Kilmer, uh, Tanaka Ken, and uh, Dusty would, would talk about a, a certain Japanese word that would become a, a theme of the, the film? Giri, uh, which means the burden of obligation. Yes, I think, yeah. yeah. I, I believe... Um, this, this stemmed from Leonard Schrader's research when he was over in Japan. Uh, they, they really uh, emphasized 
the um that uh i'm trying to figure out what's a good english word that would basically be apart from obligation more of like um it's there you go it is a debt and all that's yeah 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 please continue but i think that you you hit it it is definitely and when we say debt we're not talking a financial debt we're talking like a life a life debt exactly it's kind of oh yeah please continue Sure, it's like it's basically like they they owe each other uh, a favor that cannot be a favor or that that cannot be repaid. And yet they try anyway. Uh, it's it's basically they're it's an honor that they're trying to maintain with each other as almost like modern day samurai. But because I was thinking what, what you were saying about um, this this code that the yakuza is trying to maintain, it it reminds me of bushido. That, that moral code of honor that the samurai uh, try to maintain as well. And then it transcends into this modern-day uh, scenario of 1970s Tokyo uh, that, that the three protagonists are trying to maintain for themselves because uh, uh, especially the one who suffers from this the most it has to be Tanaka Ken. But the fact that um, during the war he had to abandon his wife and daughter uh, and then he returns from his exile. I, I believe he, if I remember correctly, what Oliver Wheat was saying was that uh, Tanaka Ken was in exile in, the, in one of the, uh, the mountain islands of the Philippines and then comes back to Japan to discover that uh, his wife is now in the arms of this Gaijin American, mm. uh, Mitchup's character. And now, like, he, of course, he's enraged that his wife and baby daughter are whisked away from him. But at the same time, he discovers that Kilmer uh, saved Aiko's life during the um, the bombings of, of Japan during the war. And now here's the uh, the underlying heavy theme of, of the film is this uh, is the death. Uh, it's what it's what drives the, the plot forward and now because like the most complex character has to be Tanaka Ken, he, he's torn whether basically tell Kilmer to go to hell, he stole my wife, but at the same time he, he owes this major debt too to Mitchum, to Harry Kilmer for saving his family's life during the war, and that's the big driving force, the dramatic driving force of this film. Right, because it, 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 again, it should be noted that um, he, he did abandon his family, and it wasn't like Robert Mitchum stole his wife away. Um, right. She just, she was left in this position where her husband disappears, she's got, she's raising a daughter, and I mean, it, it, so like the the debt he finds. So when he does return from exile, though, Robert Mitchum, but he bows out gracefully, and I, you know, that's. So t- I I think that that's even a that probably weighs on Tanaka even more than I I, I kind of am realizing now. Just to think about it, to put that character in such an emotional position. Where, you know, he kind of disgraced his family by deserting them, and then to find out that this American, this foreigner, had come in and took care of the of the woman that he made, you know, like a vow, like a, a wedding vow. He va- he vowed uh, at at the ceremony to take care of her for richer, for poor, for better, for for worse, and all that kind of stuff, and you know. Mm-hmm. So I mean that's the thing, uh, I think putting this um, this much emotion 
into the script is really it, it, it makes these character interactions so much more powerful because we're talking about mm-hmm. real stuff here we're not talking about um like you said you kind of put this on on the same level as the as the godfather as far as mm-hmm. we're dealing with real people here with real themes with real issues with real problems and so when the violence breaks out um it it, it it hits you more like a gut punch you know it, yeah. it's not like you're watching a an 80s canon action f- film and I'm not throwing shade at them it, there's a I, I like those for a time in a a time in a place I love like some mindless action here and again but me to me to have such a, a rich story surrounding these action s- set pieces is, is just amazing and um so let's uh, the 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 ending, I guess, is probably, you know, you've, you you sit through some pretty violent moments throughout this movie, but I would say that the, the end of this movie is probably the hardest to watch. Do you want to, you want to kind of take us through the, uh, you, 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 you get what I'm talking about, right? Absolutely. Um, no, even before the, the ending sequence that you're referring to, uh, there, there's another scene there that's it's right in between the um, uh, the climactic sword fight and also from the uh, the final ending that you're referring to. There's another sequence where uh, it involves uh, Kilmer, Tanaka Ken, and Tanaka's brother Goro, uh, who you, you might recognize, uh, Chris. So that was uh, James Shigeta from from the first Die Hard. Uh, okay. Yeah, he plays. Okay. Uh, yeah, that was that was him. And but then like uh, Goro plays like a very pivotal role as like he explains everything to uh, the Kilmer. In fact, he was the guy that tells, uh, that reveals to the Kilmer of the uh, the family mystery behind uh, Tanaka Ken that he is indeed Aiko's husband and not brother. Um, and there's a scene there uh, because I, I'm not sure how what, what's your what's your parameters for spoilers here, Chris. Like, are you do you want to reveal everything or do you oh, want to like, have viewers to? Urging him to watch the film and see what they're what we're referring to. No, we're talking about everything here. I I have it. Um, we we're we're talking movies top to bottom here on the show. So please, um, because I think the scene is very very. Um, the, the the I know the executives were worried ab- about the the way that the audiences would handle this this ending because it it is very unique it's not at all so, because it's not something that you would expect from an american film and uh um, right. so please uh, take it away because i think it's very it's very powerful sure well in, in that scene uh tanaka ken uh was forced to kill a young yakuza who as it turns out is his nephew uh he is the he's the son of goro tanaka who's um Who's an underboss within the, the Tokyo underworld? Who's trying to keep the peace? Who anyway? And, and he made. It, it's worth noting that um, he, they said that his nephew. Um, they said that this is what needs to be done, and he just he asked that he. They, I think he put. Was it a tattoo or a birthmark that he said? It, you know, it was a. 
It was a it was a tattoo of, of a spider on right. his on his bald head. That's that's how to distinguish him. Yes, and um, and they 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 promised him that he would not be harmed, and unfortunately, that right. was not. Yeah, please go on. Sure, like, and of course, like, you know, he couldn't keep that promise. Um, uh, Goro's son uh, came at uh, at Ken, and Ken had to defend himself. But at the very last second, he discovers that is indeed his nephew, and then he had to kill him. Uh, which which leads to the next sequence. Uh, Ken is so racked with guilt with everything that's that's happened to him, uh, especially with the uh, with the killing of his nephew. He proceeds to commit what in Japan is called seppuku or ritual suicide, uh, in order to atone for your your sins to somebody else. They have to make that ult- ultimate sacrifice and kill themselves. But Goro uh, strictly forbid- forbids it. He said, "No, don't do that. I already lost my son. I don't want to lose a brother either." Um, but then, Ken is still suffering from all of the, the the hells that's put upon him. He instead commits what's what's known as ubetsume, or the ceremonial yakuza apology of cutting one's finger with a knife. So he does that instead, and he offers his uh, finger to his brother as atonement for killing his nephew, right in front of Kilmer. And, and of course, this really profoundly disper- disturbs Kilmer as well. Which leads us to the final denouement of the film, where Raimi's about to leave, going back to America. Kilmer goes back to Tanaka Ken's apartment in Kyoto, and then uh, has a bit of a saying goodbye, uh, final thoughts on the crazy relationship between them. Uh, and then uh, he himself, Harry Kilmer, Roger, Robert Mitchum's character, also commits ubetsume. He slices off his finger, and he offers that as a, a token of apology for all the pain that I have caused you. And uh, when I first saw that, that blew me away. I couldn't believe just how soul-crushing that scene was when he when he cuts off his own finger as a as a means of apology for all the pain that he caused for Tanaka Ken. It, that is just beyond deep. Yeah. And and that's that that's the climax that I'm talking about that 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 is so powerful and 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 so you you, you don't you don't see it coming. Oh, and Uno. It, it kind of brings me back to um. We're talking about this this um giri, which. Mm-hmm is a duty and obligation that isn't learned necessarily but is instead simply felt like mm-hmm. you feel that you you feel obli- you know, not to reuse the word but you feel obligated in some way to pay this mm-hmm. person back it's kind of it's kind of a debt that there is no financial um the, the financial resti- restitution can't yeah. be can't be made. It's it's a debt that can't be paid off with um a sum of money. Mm-hmm. And I I think that's 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 so unique to Western audiences because we we often see, you know, a, a, we we see a debt as a financial obligation. If I borrow, you know, money from someone and there's this sort of interest rate you know it's kind of like with a credit card you know you make your monthly Mm -hmm. payments this is not something that you you simply can make monthly payments on this this takes it takes an act 
of um, it takes a physical act to to um, to kind of put put to put the situation right. Um, right. It's almost like the biblical eye for an. It's almost like the eye for an eye kind of thing. In this case, it just happens Absolutely. to be a, a pinky for a, a pinky. Yeah. So that, that's actually that's spot on. I had to say an eye for an eye. It's kind of like that. Yeah. Um. So, uh, final thoughts on the Yakuza. I just want to mention a couple things. I know that um, Scorsese had was was wanted to direct this I, I i'm not sure why he didn't he might not have had the um the clout as of yet to kind of helm something like this whereas pollock was much more established at the time so that that's my theory about about that uh, i i i i can't you know when sometimes i watch movies uh, for this show and I think wow you know it would be amazing if so and so had helmed this or you know if we replace this this is one of these movies that everything worked so perfectly for me yes the the, the plot does get a little convoluted upon first watch but once uh, this this movie is also easily very rewatchable just because it's beautifully shot the score will keep you engaged the characters are not one note these are really developed characters with backstory and it, it, for an exposure to kind of eastern philosophy specifically with the samurai and the 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 modern day yakuza it, it it's mm-hmm. it, it's absolutely fascinating to me and it, you get it it's such a rewarding film experience because you get I guess the happiest kind of conclusion that could be expected given the circumstances that makes any sense mm-hmm. um, but I'm gonna leave the um, the final thoughts um, to my friend Caesar um, final you know anything else that we're missing talking about this this extraordinary motion picture I would say anybody who wants to experience Robert Mitchum for the very first time, if you don't know what to start with, I would recommend The Aquaza. It's it, it's basically it's a gateway drug to just how great this actor was. Uh, he was, as I said earlier in, in the uh, the recording, that he was so versatile. He he, could, he was a chameleon, and he could play cowboys, he could play psychos, and he could also play. Um, guilt-ridden war, like, aging warriors just like in this movie uh if anybody wants to to explore his super rich repertoire of films the yakuza is definitely the first place to start i highly recommend it yeah th- there's really nothing kind of quite like it mm-hmm. that i can think of because a lot of movies that this influenced and we we mentioned a bunch here on the show um they're much more heavy on the action sequences uh, uh i mean black rain is is just chock full of some amazing action sequences but it it it, it makes for a great double feature especially since i i didn't put the connection together with that um the actor that appears in both because he plays very very different roles in these movies but he's excellent 
and and yes. in them and I, I I'm glad that you know he he didn't. <clears throat> well, I'm not glad that he didn't become like this huge um, movie star because he he's certainly <laughs> deserving of it because he he shows his range just by just with these two movies if you're watching his performance in the yakuza and then you watch him about a decade later in black rain it's just it's just amazing to see but i i am I'm, I'm glad that um this movie exists to be as influential as it is because this you know a lot of the people that kind of picked up on this kind of movie um, made it a little too um, some of the you know some of the violent sequences in Kill Bill could be a little over the top. Um, but I, I'm just thinking now that the way that you watch Kill Bill and Kill Bill Two, you know, you got the first the first one, which is um, pretty much almost all action throughout, and then the second one kind of it's a pause and we kind of develop more of the backstory of Uma Thurman's character and and all that kind of stuff so I mean it's you could see the influences especially in in Kill Bill and Black Rain um any other movies that I'm missing that this this probably really influenced um, as far as Hollywood's concerned, I can't really think of anything more apart from just Black Rain and, uh, and Kill Bill. Um, but then, uh, for anybody who's interested in checking out fully Japanese films about, um, the Yakuza, there's plenty in the Criterion channel. Um, if, if you had that already, Chris, yep. uh, there's, uh, there's films like, um, A Cult is My Passport, Cruel Gun Story, those offer... Uh, strictly Japanese perspectives of the Yakuza. A lot of them are kind of groovy or hip. It's mm-hmm. uh, uh, they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're based in like they're shot in the '60s, and they showed a, a different, uh, also a more of a actual hip look at the uh, the Yakuza. That uh, kind of unlike um, the Yakuza itself. It, it's um, if you if you ever see these movies, they they almost have like a John Woo like feel about a, a, a romanticized, glamorized look at the Yakuza, whereas in the film we just talked about, uh, it's more of, um, it showed how ugly and, uh, devastating their world is. These more hip Japanese films, like A Cult is My Passport, Tokyo Drifter, stuff like that, those, uh, those offer more of a, of a comic book feel to the Yakuza. I'm not referring to the actual organized crime that they have over there, but it's, it's definitely something to look at if, if you, uh, if you want to delve away from the Yakuza, the film itself. Right, and and it's very similar to the way that we treat uh, mafia movies here or, or, or gangster movies here. Some of them really kind of, like you said, glamorize the lifestyle. And mm-hmm. then you get something that'll, that, that's kind of like a gut punch. Um, it's not a movie, but uh, obviously, what you know, The Sopranos... throughout the years because it's a TV show just at time you know that you could say that there are sequences in the Sopranos that kind of glamorize the lifestyle but then there's probably more scenes that are the real emotional gut punches that that are the stark reality of living such a lifestyle 
You're gonna right. lose your friends. You're gonna have to kill your friends. You're gonna you might have to kill family members. You know, and 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 like you said, you know, so it, it, it's just interesting to me to to see something um, that kind of, you know, it's it, it's a great introduction. It's a great passport into this lifestyle because yeah. through Robert Mitchum, we. L- we're, we're given his backstory about his relationship with these people, but he's also he he's coming from a a a, a place w- where we as the audience don't necessarily know what's happening, or don't necessarily mm-hmm. know the ramifications of some of these things that that must be undertook. So it, it's kind of the perfect little um, glimpse into a world that we. If, if you're not living in it, it's really hard to get a, an accurate grasp on. And I, I think that the fact that we, the story comes from someone that was living in Japan at the time and then handed off to two of the great screenwriters of our, our time just makes for such um, an intricate and, and well thought out story. But um, other than the little convolutions of plot that kind of it, it, it it's a little hard to grasp right away maybe upon first viewing um any other um criticisms that you have about this movie anything that you didn't particularly like or you wish were developed further um no not so not really Uh, i would say that the only the only fault and it's a very very minor one would be the uh the far-fetched plot in itself Uh, you know like how the uh the conspiracy of the rift between the two bad guys um uh how that basically doled out that no that's very minor uh apart from that uh it is a damn near perfect film yeah i i would say that that the 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 kidnapping and the the reasons for the kidnapping are 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 much more of the the mcguffin to speak it it's it's really just it, it they're not nearly as important because she ends up being rescued she's okay um so and she was an innocent involved in this. So the fact that she makes it out alive is okay. It, it it's really just kind of just the set of circumstances that need to set this this uh, story into motion. So I, I actually yeah, that's that's actually what I would criticize too. But at the same time, like you said, it's a very minor criticism criticism because in the larger scheme, when we're looking at the full the, the big picture. Um, the the full mo- the movie as a whole it it's it's not really that important it's just the um it's it's the strike of the match that's lighting the fuse and then we we're watching this this kind of slow burn into um an explosion and you know not a literal explosion but just kind of like an emotional explosion at the very end. So, Absolutely, an, an emotional powder keg that's ready to blow. Ex- you know what? We're not going to get better than that. So, I'm going to say that you know, if you haven't seen Yakuza and you've listened to us talk about it, uh, even though you, you we we talked all things about it, it's it's so worth a watch that you, you're going to get something out of it because we couldn't touch on everything about it. The movie's about two hours long. Um, it doesn't feel its length. It's excellently paced uh and if you haven't seen it in a while it is well worth a rewatch this is this is one that um 
you know, sometimes we, I watch older movies and you could see where certain things would have to be tweaked because they aged poorly. I can't think of anything like this. It's kind of like it's if you like gritty '70s movies, then it, th- and this is one to definitely check out. And um, Caesar, I uh, as a pleasure always having you on the show. I'm looking forward to um, to to talking more films with you um, as this uh, series goes on. Mm-hmm. Please follow Caesar on Twitter every day he he's posting movies that um everything's not going to catch your eye but when he posts a doozy um wow you hit it out of the park uh so i uh, his um twitter handle is of course in the episode description and uh i i thank you all for joining me on this uh little excursion over to japan for the the yakuza and we've got lots of good stuff coming up on the cult film companion podcast as well as my um second show twin peaks talk which is a weekly um episode dissection of twin peaks so please uh like share subscribe review tell a friend and uh thank you all for joining me once again